first and foremost, thank you so much for joining the We Don't Play podcast station today, DB. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. You're most welcome. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing really well. Um, we, of course, talked before you hit the play button that uh, you had a very good day today, and I, I feel like I did as well, because any day where you're getting yourself moving forward, even if it's one step, is a good day. That's spot on, because as soon as you said that, I was thinking about that one degree per day. So when you start thinking about that one degree and how long it takes to beat those metrics, it's like you have to challenge yourself. And, you know, when they say you don't you don't eat if you don't work, you know, so you have to stay in that mindset of how smart can you be in a way that can allow branding to, you know, go into your your discovery as a business, you know, as a Look at what just happened. Sound just happened. So, you know, you get interrupted by things and you're like, oh, oops, you know. But when people think about these things in reality, they they tend to connect to them and that's what they remember out of a whole show. It's it's weird. I don't know if, you, yeah. if you've thought about it that way. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you think about some of your favorite movies or TV shows, you're going to remember not necessarily the lines of dialogue, but... Certainly, if you're talking about the great film composer John Williams, you'll remember the musical motifs that he comes up with for All I have to do that, and anyone who's ever seen the movie Jaws goes, Ooh, Jaws! Or, Bum, 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 Ooh, that's the March of Darth Vader from Star Wars. Right. You know, so much is communicated with music or the tempo and the timbre of the instruments chosen. And I always relate everything back to brand because that's what I do, right? You know, I've been working in advertising for close to 30 years and branding is about making it easy for people to understand completely who you are, what you do and how you do it well before you even enter the room. So, Mm. you know, I'm meeting you for the very first time here, Favor. But I've already got a flavor for you. Because, <laughs> well, the first thing is, your name, Favor Obase Ike, is that uh, pretty close? Yeah, Favor, you got the last name correctly, Favor Obase Ike, yes. Yeah, okay. So, okay, that tells me a little bit about you. you okay. Know, probably that you're, you've got close African roots, if not from, you're from Africa, someplace in Africa. Right. Yeah, right. But one of the other things I saw about you was this thing called Flav Beats or Flav Beats. Correct. So I so I do a little bit of looking on that and I see, oh, oh the dude likes a little bit of hip hop and he's got a little bit of flow for himself. And, you know, it, it doesn't take much of a Google search on your name to turn up some pretty interesting stuff about you that isn't necessarily key to engaging with you on social media or something like that right but it makes it a whole lot more interesting because all of a sudden like uh, i i saw on your linkedin feed that uh, someone had recommended you for some work you did for them on pinterest and i never thought that i'd be interested in talking to a guy who does hip-hop and pinterest <laughs> but now i kind of am 
You know, I kind of want to hear that story because that's a whole lot more interesting than someone who can help me with my SEO and my Pinterest and my Facebook feed and stuff like that. Right. No, this is a this is a dude who's got something going on that I want to know more about. I want to know more about your story, and that's the bottom line. Story is the foundation for every brand. So, you know, I'm wow. just saying, Favor, I'm really happy to meet you and learn more about you because you've already enticed me with you know, what I know about your brand. And I have wow. just started engaging with your brand. Wow, this is humbling. It's really humbling because you know, when you don't get this kind of response, you don't know whether people are seeing it or not. And with SEO, I can see it, but I don't hear it. So there's a difference. And when I hear it, I'm like, oh, okay, it's working. I know I did something intentionally because there's a reason, there's a message, there's a story. And then the branding, even when I joined Clubhouse the very first time, my picture has been the same. And, you know, the hoodie I'm wearing is has my logo on it. So people don't even see that brand until they're like, oh, I've been seeing it so many months that I didn't realize it was. You know, when you hear a song 20 years later, you're like, oh, that's what they said. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. So I, I, I connect that with, you know, how I'm doing it consistently so that that fundamental is there. So you don't think I just woke up last night and decided to be a rock star, you know? Well, yeah, exactly. That's what every brand does. Branding is as much about discipline as it is about trying to engage with people. Branding is having a, a direction that is based on who you are, what you do, and how you do it when it comes to personal branding. Right. And then staying true to that, not varying. I mean, yeah, you'll, you'll plus or minus 10% that you'll change a little bit, you'll calibrate things a little bit, but you aren't fundamentally gonna change. And in, let's just use you as an example. You're not suddenly going to start uh, taking up the Olympic sport of curling, which happens right. on ice with big stones and stuff. That's right. not your gig, right? Right. Do a, But even in the two seconds I've known you, I'm going to guess that music is never, ever going to leave your life as being a core pillar of who you are. That's right. Music, you're going to find a way to weave that into everything you do. So music is a key element that defines you. And when it comes to your brand, you've got to keep weaving that in. Now, the thing is, you again, you might calibrate it. Sometimes you'll turn it up to 11 when you want to get people to... to really be impressed with your musical background and everything like that other times you'll turn it down but it's always there because here's the thing favor you have to be consistently you over and over and over again and when you are truly who you are that makes it easy because you don't have to remember any fake brand pillars or words or stuff like that right. instead you are who you are but what you're doing is you're packaging yourself in a way that allows someone like me all the way in Wisconsin to get a little bit of flavor of favor before I even meet the guy. Right. That's deep because that makes it known that what you're doing is already happening by frequency. And, you know, when you think about frequency and sound and resonance and how that plays a role into your vibration. You know, it, it comes right back. You, you hit one of my favorite words, resonance, resonancy. It resonates with someone. And 
you know, as a uh, musician, you know that when you talk about resonance, you're talking about the frequency at which a, uh, a string on a guitar might uh, vibrate. Right. It resonates with the instrument. And you can always tell that uh, certain instruments resonate with certain vibrations more harmonically than others. You know, they, they fit better. And so consequently, you got to say, well, if you're playing cello, you really shouldn't be playing a violin part. You should play a cello part, which is pitched, optimized, if you will, for the cello, rather than trying to play super high parts. Now you can go there occasionally, yeah. but the soul of the instrument resides down in the frequencies where it truly resonates. So again, you favor the personal brand you can go to different areas, but you're always going to want to come back to the areas that resonate most uh, deeply with you because that's where your value actually lies to other people. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because I'm thinking as you're speaking like this, it's making me think a lot. You know, I'm literally just rewinding and I'm like, okay, that means that if I'm constantly doing the same thing, I'm sharpening that skill. And at the same time, this brand is evolving because people are evolving as far as technology and knowledge, you know. So how do you keep up and at the same time stay connected to your brand? And when you think about the brands that have lasted so long, you know, with your experience, you know, it would be great to hear more about like how the branding aspect and the business connect. Because when you think about campaigns that brands would run you know from tv radio back then newspaper to now digital when you see that sound coming back or that theme or that jingle or that you know something that keeps you remember oh i like that sound i, I just know what that is netflix for example you know so how does does a business keep that originality when there's so much cloning well the key uh, well let me go back to uh, uh an organization, a brand that everybody in the world knows, doesn't matter what continent or country you are on the face of the earth, if I show you a, a certain bottle shape and a certain red and white color scheme and a certain scripty style logo, you'll recognize it as Coca-Cola. Now, where you are in the world, you might call it something slightly different, but it's always Coca-Cola. And you know, you're down in Atlanta and uh, I worked at McCann Erickson in Atlanta on Coca-Cola at the very beginning of my career, like, oh God, 25 years ago. And that's where I learned what branding was. Because Coca-Cola, if you think about it, is nothing more than sweet, brown, bubbly water. That's all it is. It's got some flavor. It's very similar to its fiercest competitor, Pepsi, which has a slightly sweeter taste profile. Coca-Cola is a little bit more bitey acidic, where Pepsi is a little sweeter. Guess what? They're the same thing with a slight flavor difference. Not all that different. And yet Coca-Cola has retained its position as the number one cola in the entire world, the number one soft drink brand in the entire world, because it's constantly hitting the same points over and over and over again. Now, when I wrote ad copy for Coca-Cola, I was always beat up by the account managers and also our clients over at Coca-Cola over three concepts, three words that represent three concepts. The concepts were authenticity, 
refreshment, and sociability. Coca-Cola was all those three things. And every every single radio spot I ever did, every outdoor I ever had to do, uh, every TV spot I ever had to do, had to communicate those three things in one way or another. So I always had to go in and explain, how does this say authenticity? Well, the bottle shape of the green glass bottle, the classic Coke bottle, uh, the red and white script, Spencerian script of the logo, which hasn't changed plus minus 20% over a hundred, let's see, since 1886. Think about that. Their logo hasn't changed appreciably since 1886. And the tagline that most people associate with Coca-Cola is something along the lines of the real thing, or it's it's the the one, the only. It's it's always real. It's always authentic. You know, sociability is all always about. You drink Coca Cola when you're with family and friends. You're at concerts. You're at picnics. You're at football games, baseball games. You always have it there to enjoy with friends and family. And then the uh, most interesting word I think is the word refreshment, because. A lot of people think, oh, that's about drinking the liquid that's in the bottle, right? I say it's every aspect of the user experience of grabbing that can or bottle of Coca-Cola because the second you grab it, you feel that ice coldness in your hand and on a hot day, you might apply it right to your neck just to cool off a little bit. And you're already enjoying the refreshment of Coca-Cola even before you open the can or bottle. I mean, those three words are the foundation words for Coca-Cola, and they have been forever. Now, I think they've added a couple more phrases, but I like to keep it to three, because three is easy to remember. So I always look, when I deal with people and help them and coach them developing their personal brands, I always like them to think about, okay, what three words completely sum up who you are, what you do, and how you do it? Now, how does that play out? In my case, I did this exercise for myself because, you know, if I'm a brander, I might as well be branding myself. And I started thinking about it and I thought, well, I'm a writer. So I guess I'm a writer. No, I'm not a writer. Writers, that's just the tool I use. That's like saying, I'm a carpenter, so I'm a hammer. No, no, you back up a little bit and say, no, I'm a woodworker. I'm a, more than a woodworker. I'm an artisan. I'm an artisan. I'm a creative person. Oh, okay, so the first level principle of who I am is I am creative. That makes me a whole lot different than someone who's very good organizationally right. or operationally or analytically. You know, I'm not a scientist. Scientists can be creative but they mostly need to be analytical. So if, if, if I were to look at a scientist and say, what first principle best suits you? It might be analytical rather than creative. That doesn't mean you can't be analytically creative or creative with your analysis. Mm. I hope I'm making sense, which yeah. is don't be about the tools you use, be about the artist you are. So you do music. You might say, I'm a musician. Okay, that, that could be very true, but is it more that you're a musician or are you, uh, what type of musician, what, what informs you as a musician to make you the kind of musician you are? And the funny thing is, a lot of musicians, when they back up, 
go, you know what? I'm not a musician. I'm a storyteller. I tell stories with music and words. Like uh, some of my favorite songwriters, they they don't. Uh, it's not that they don't have great beats. It's not that they don't have great melodies. But it's the words that attract attention. And you probably can think of people, in, especially in hip hop, yeah. there are people whose words are fundamental to who they are. More important than you know the the arrangement of the music. Meanwhile, there are other people who are literally all about their flow. You know that the style. They're more of a stylist. That's totally different than someone who's a storyteller. Because let me tell you, there are plenty of people out there who are stylists who are killing it because they truly know that it's about the style, not the words. And again, if I ask you, name one person you follow who you would call a storyteller, compare them to another person you follow and love who's a stylist, and you can see the difference, which is, well, technically they're doing the same thing, but they're not. They're totally different. Right. So consequently, they aren't rappers, or they aren't producers, or they aren't beat makers. They're something else entirely, or they come from a different place, and that's what makes them unique. Because here's the thing, creating beats does not make you unique. Being able to play an instrument does not make you unique. Writing songs or being able to come up with a rhyme does not make you unique. But the stuff behind that stuff that informs all that stuff, that's what makes you unique. So that's the goal of anyone who wants to have a truly effective personal brand. You gotta go deep and back off and get rid of the tool orientation and say, well, I'm a pianist, I play piano. No, you don't just play piano. Well, yeah, I play other keyboards too. No, it's not just about keyboards either. It's about something else. What is that something else that makes you truly unique and is true about you across everything. That's deep because I'm already now thinking about like a two-part question, which is like the first one, when you think about how people brand others when they're not sure of what they are, that's yeah. that's one. And then when you now think about the style of branding, because you think about disruptive branding or luxury branding or value branding how do you take these brands apart like walmart could be a value brand and target could be a luxury brand and it's just based on luxury doesn't mean it's expensive probably it's more convenient you know so how do you how do you stitch them well well, the big thing is you got to get down and get get rid of opinion and get down to what are the fundamental truths so you brought up the name walmart the brand walmart Walmart says it, and you know, it may not be their current tagline that they use in advertising, but it's core to who they are, which is low prices every day. Low prices every day defines everything they do. From the way their stores look, from the way they merchandise product on shelves, from uh, the amount of training they give their associates who work at the stores, you don't go there to make to feel good about your purchase because you got something that made you kind of feel sexy. No, you go there because it's low prices every day and I can fill up my cart for a whole lot less than if I go to someplace else. Like you mentioned Target. Target, who would consider Target a luxury brand? I'll tell you who. 
a mom with kids who has to go get Tropicana orange juice and Tide laundry detergent and paper towels and toilet paper and she still takes the cart past the clothing section and then she sees there's a pop-up store within the clothing section from that brand she heard about in her fashion magazine or her lifestyle magazine you know of all the cool kids in Brooklyn are wearing this stuff and I'm a, a, a homemaker in the middle of the United States but I've heard of this brand because it's kind of cool and sexy and stuff and I look at the price on that cute crop top leather jacket and go, I can afford this. Oh, should I? Oh, it's not that much. I think. And I could feel good about myself or, you know, I feel a little bit swaggy. You know, I, I can do that. So all of a sudden Target is an aspirational brand. I wouldn't necessarily call it a luxury brand, okay. but it's an aspirational brand because I may be a mom with a couple of kids, but I aspire to look good. I aspire to look like I did when I was in college. I may have put on a little, uh, some pounds. I may have put on, a, uh, popped out a couple of kids, but that doesn't mean I stopped wanting to at least touch the cool stuff or the things that I, I value that I can't necessarily be every day. So when I walk into Target, I feel that kind of mini excitement of maybe there's going to be something cool that I can buy today that makes me that takes me away from being a mom even for half an hour and guess what totally different position than Walmart low prices every day neither one's right or wrong as brands they are completely true to who they are and that's what I refer to as a non-fiction brand they are not creating some fiction about who they are they have defined who they are very clearly and they are being it every single day. One of my kind of nonfiction branding bumper stickers is know who you are so you can be it. You have to know who you are. You have to do the work to know who you are, what you do and how you do it so that you can be it consistently every single day. I love that. That is spot on because now you now make a decision. Do you want to drive 20 minutes to Target or do you want to drive five minutes to Walmart? Like that's your choice. And I think when you start doing that habitually, it starts to create that kind of impression that you actually become a consumer of as a behavior. When you start you know, thinking about patterns and what the brand is actually doing for you, I feel good. Like you said, aspirational. You know, someone would buy some jewelry just to feel flashy, not necessarily because it's great jewelry. It's just because people compliment you. So it's kind of like a reverse engineering process in a kind of way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I can look at my own family. My wife is a uh, an administrator for the local public school district. Occasionally, she will have to go out and get things like backpacks or pencils, uh, loose leaf paper, stuff like that for the school district. Yeah. She doesn't go to Target for that. She goes to Walmart because she can get more for less. But she, for herself, will never walk into a Walmart. And that's an interesting... That's, that's <laughs> it, crazy. It's just plain true. <laughs> if she's buying with her money right. something for herself or our family, she will literally drive a little bit farther to go to Target 
rather than go to the Walmart that is literally 10 minutes from our house. Right. Isn't that convenience? You know, people pay for convenience, but at the same time, they'll still pay more for that convenience, whether they're paying with their time or they're paying with some type of resource. Right, and sometimes those resources are internal, emotional, psychological resources, which is when I walk into this store, I feel kind of, I don't know, it almost makes me feel bad. It, like, I, I, it doesn't uplift me. Like, why is Apple, Apple stores, Apple stores are like cathedrals to technology. You walk into an Apple store and you can almost hear the angel choir singing and the clouds parting as, oh, here's this brand new, incredibly beautiful technology. I'm a huge Apple fan, so I'll just go get that out of the way too. <laughs> and an Apple stock owner, truth be told. Ooh. I love going to an Apple store. I don't really love going to a Best Buy. Best Buy has a lot of stuff, and it's a lot of stuff. It's sensory overload, and uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not at the point in my life where I want to go in some place and be bombarded by stuff. I would rather have a clean user experience that, and I don't have to think about the cost variance between a Dell laptop and an HP laptop and whatever. I know Apple has a limited range. I know I'm paying more for Apple. But I'm paying more for Apple because I have a 20 plus year relationship with Apple in that I started computing on an old twin floppy IBM XT clone green screen with an A prompt where you had to type in park.exe to park the heads on the hard drive. Oh my in goodness. fact my in fact my first computer did not have a hard drive. And my first the first hard drive that I put in it was, I kid you not, a massively huge 20 megabyte hard drive that cost $300. Oh my goodness. I've got JPEGs on my phone right now that are bigger than 20 megabytes, you know? <laughs> right. But, ba but back then, I'm like, 20 megabytes? I'll never fill this thing up. But so my whole point is, I know computers. I've taken them apart and all that. I am at the age where I don't want to take up part a computer again. I don't, I don't, I have, I have more money than I have time. I'm going to use that time very judiciously. So I'm going to go with Apple because Apple stuff just works. Plus their brand values the things I value, user experience, design, the stuff that makes you feel kind of techy. Ooh, it is kind of a aspirational luxury brand, you know? Yeah. People, you know, anyone who's been forced to have an Android phone forever aspires to have an Apple iPhone generally, if for nothing else than to get the blue bubbles in the uh, chat features, you know, <laughs> uh, in the iMessage, you know. Right. Um, it, and it becomes aspirational. But Apple is not literally uh, taking money up from people just willy-nilly. They're doing it because you have to pay more to get what they design and create. If you value that, buy us. If not, there are plenty of other people. And that's one of the things brands do too, is they don't try to be all things to all people. They are true to exactly who and what they are and how they do things. 
and they're happy for other people to say, you know what, I'm not so into you, I don't want to engage or buy your services or whatever. To which I say, great, I don't have to waste time on you because if you were forced to work with me, you wouldn't like what I did. Right. You would, you would now uh, fight me on every invoice I send you. I would have to bend over backwards to try to please you and I probably won't. I mean, without going into any deep therapy session here, Favor, I have to ask you, have you ever dated a woman who was like more trouble than she was worth? You know, the, <laughs> the, the one and who would never, ever truly love you because they didn't really like you or, you know, they, they always found fault with you. Mm. We all know people like that. And the... The older you get, and I say this as I stroke my white beard here, the older you get, the more you realize, you know what, I, there is a segment of this population that as you get older, tends to get bigger, is not going to like me. And it doesn't mean I'm rude to them or mean or anything like that. It just means I'm not going to get them. They aren't going to get me. So cool. You be you. I'll be me. Uh, I'll if if you're at a stop sign waiting to cross the street, I'll wait for you to cross the street. I'm not going to do anything bad to you, but I'm also not going to be saddened by the fact that you choose that you choose not to engage with me for my services or become my friend or whatever else. It's like I've given up trying to impress everybody. Right. I'm going to find the people who understand who I am, what I do, and how I do it and then focus all my energy on them. Because what happens then? They're even more delighted with the services and the deliverables I can bring them. Because they already appreciate what I do for them. That's true. Yeah. It, it makes yeah. a lot of sense because it comes back around. And you yeah. know, when I think about what you said about sensory overload, I was now thinking diving deep into like how do brands you know post three times a day you know and literally overload their timeline feed trying to tell them to buy something but really tell them in three different ways without being intentional about why they're even doing it or just being generic about it so could you touch on that with that sensory overload because i love what you said well, yeah, you have to ask yourself, uh, a lot of people, and I'm guilty of this as well, you know, uh, you have to schedule stuff on social media just so that you're constantly pinging on people's radar screen. It's like, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, you know, and you don't do it too much. You you, you try to pay attention to the, the kind of tempo and tone of whatever the channel is. For example, Twitter, Twitter's speed is so fast, you can literally do eight tweets a day and nobody will see more than one of them or two of them you know because it, right. it's just so rapid but other ones you know uh, I had a friend come down on me I was at a conference and I was taking a bunch of pictures and posting them to Instagram and uh, she DM'd me via, via Instagram saying dude turn it down and I'm like what do you mean said, you posted three photos today turn it down <laughs> And I'm like, three? Three's too much? But, but she was saying, she was giving me a little guidance, which was right. for the tempo, and this was, I don't know, five, six years ago, 
the tempo of Instagram was not you do three a day. It was more like you do one every three days or something like that. Right. And so she was giving me a little guidance there. Well, I didn't listen to her because I was at a conference. It was a short time period and I was meeting cool people. And, you know, I wanted people to know that I was at this conference. I was meeting these cool people. I was meeting, I was learning these cool things. So I kind of stuffed a lot of that stuff into a, a, a fairly tight time frame because that was the time frame of the conference. But the thing is, the day the conference ended, I didn't post any more photos from that conference. I didn't do it for the next three weeks because I like my, my social uh, to be very fresh and kind of what's happening today. Right. You know, um, but you were kind of asking about things like tempo uh, and periodicity between uh, placements or, or things on social media. Some of the most fascinating brands I follow on social media, they aren't telling me about themselves. They're engaging with the world and I'm watching how they engage with the world. So uh, I know that, uh, I don't know if you follow Steakums, the a brand that makes uh, they're basically frozen sliced meat to, ba to make uh, steak sandwiches. Oh. Their Twitter feed is pretty funny because this guy isn't, He's not doing any marketing for Steakums. But as something happens during the day, he'll comment on what's going on on Twitter, kind of in the Twitterverse. Right. And it's so unusual to see a brand actively engaging with something that's happening on Twitter. And you can tell that it, whoever just posted it, just posted, just wrote it and posted it. It wasn't scheduled. It wasn't put in you know, Sprout Social or, or Buffer or anything like that. It was literally someone responded and put it up there. And, and that's that's charming. You know, another brand like uh, Wendy's, the fast uh, serve restaurant, uh, has a, another interesting Twitter feed where they will react to uh, baseball games as they're occurring and post stuff about that. They aren't trying to tell me what their hamburgers taste like or what their service is like or anything like that. They're just reminding me that they're out there. They're kind of fun. They have a sense of humor. They've got a style. And they're pinging on my radar in a way that gets my attention. You know, so what I see a lot of brands do is they feel like, oh, we have to respond to whatever the the big thing that's happening today is I love the ones who find the little odd thing that might be very very cool to the Twitterverse you know the odd uh, meme -y thing you know not the meme that everyone's jumping on but the meme that is out there for the cool kids almost okay it, it, it's, it's a real it's a real balancing act but it also depends on your brand because if you're uh, Burberry, the British fashion house, you don't do any of that because you're so cool and you're so stylish and you probably aren't on Twitter at all because why would you be? Because we're all about the visual things. So right. we're going to put everything on Instagram. Instagram is our only jam. Why? <laughs> because we don't want to have any words in the caption. We just want you to look at that image and go, oh my gosh, I gotta get that coat. 
And, yeah. and part of Burberry's brand is this British fashion confidence that they don't have, they can be bold, but in a very British way, you know, in a very stylish way. And it makes them so different than anybody else out there. Those are all brand decisions that were made, not on the fly, but they were thought about, they were codified into a series of principles, and they are continually communicating the same core concepts so that everyone knows, oh, Burberry, yes. They're kind of like a James Bond fashion. You know, <laughs> very stylish and cool and yeah. international, but you know, but not French. You know, it definitely doesn't feel French. It feels, it doesn't feel royal either. It just feels, oh, ooh, so subtly sexy. You know? Yeah. You know what I'm even thinking now is when you mentioned this, it started making me think about what people would be thinking on how they can even develop their brand to be like this. Because some people want to feel like that. They want to know that, yeah, I built this avatar, you know, and avatars are hard to build just from game characters or just to visual characters or, you know, an artist, a, a PR team. So when people think about all these elements, like, okay, capitalism is needed, investment is needed, time is needed, resources needed how can they use those three principles that they can find about their business and equate that to their brand avatar which should speak louder than them well obviously they've, they've got to find the true foundation of who they are now when you're in a brand in a very competitive uh, environment you also need to be cognizant of your competitors' positions because you want, uh, let's face it, if you're making the same product but uh, different, uh, like watches, let's say you're a watch manufacturer, mm. um, there are truths about your watches that are 100% are different than someone else who makes a very similar watch. And you've got to find out what those things are. So uh, why would anybody buy a handmade mechanical Swiss watch of any brand when you can get a $30 watch that keeps perfect time, that has notifications on it, that has the nuclear launch codes embedded in it, that plays MP3s, that does all that stuff for, and again, it costs $30. Why would anybody ever pay $20,000 for a gold Rolex? Because it's a $20,000 gold Rolex. I don't need to tell time. I, I had this interesting conversation on my podcast, the nonfiction brand podcast, with someone who worked in the luxury space and actually worked with uh, fine Swiss watchmakers on developing their brands. And one of the brands she worked with was Hublot. And she told me about one of their watches, which was solid black. You, you couldn't, I mean, if in certain light conditions, you could see the hands of the clock, mm -hmm. but in most light conditions, you could not even read the, the watch face because it was 
deep black on black on black on black. There, you could not read the watch. And she, she said uh, a lot of critics came back at them and said, why would anybody not want a watch that they could even read or tell time with? And she said, because if you're rich enough, you don't have to ever know what time it is. You've got an assistant you can ask. <laughs> so the watch literally was kind of a big flying middle finger to the entire world saying, I don't need a watch. I wear a fashion statement that says, I don't need to tell time, mm. which is making a huge statement. And the whole thing is this watch was made with the absolute best handmade Swiss technology from uh, every single part of it. Was absolutely immaculate. It was a perfect technological artifact. Did people buy it for that? No. But that history is part of the brand, so they expected that. What they loved was the kind of subversive message the brand was providing them. It's kind of like the old saying if you need to ask the price of something, you can't afford it. Which is the essence of luxury, right? Right. And that's why I'm wearing an Apple Watch 6, which cost me 350 bucks, not 30,000. I mean, because I want the nuclear launch codes. I want the, you know, the O2 meter and, and all that stuff. That's a different value proposition, right? Right. But, but it's still associated with my luxury brand, which is Apple. Again, because I'm a tech geek, right? Right. So... Uh, I don't know if that answered your question, but I think it probably makes for an interesting story. It is. Is this is something people can definitely digest <laughs> because yeah, I I feel like when you hear about branding, people want to take notes and they're like, okay, point number one, be this way. Number two, oh. do the. It's not fun because it's so structured that there's no there's no like dynamic effect. There's no spontaneous surprise element. So. You know, those are things that people look out for when they don't expect it. And people don't realize that that's what people need. Yeah, well, uh, let me give you an example of uh, something that just happened to me today. Actually, yesterday. I saw during my social media scrolling, you know, whatever, I run across a band that I had never heard of. And I saw a video that they did, uh, all shot in a studio, live, one take, one camera, they had obviously worked out the camera moves ahead of time and all that stuff. No cuts, no editing, and it blew me away. It's uh, by a band called Lawrence, and um, I can't remember the name of the song. It was like "Don't Don't Stop That" or something like that. I, I, I can look it up actually. I'm going to look it up. Um, but you know how there are bands you you watch videos and you go, uh, yeah, these guys are fronting. These mm. guys are, are just fake. They're, they're, you know, you got the cool guy over here. You got the nerdy bass player. You got the, the kind of wacky uh, side guy. Kind of like, uh, you remember Flavor Flav? He, <laughs> they, he, he was there. For, you, you, it's like, you guys just came up with a recipe from Run DMC and now you updated it a couple of decades. Mm. Is that real? Is that real? Well, when you run across a band like um, like Lawrence, it, it, it's just, oh my God, I had to deep dive. I find out that they're brother and sister. 
that they've been doing. And I thought I only saw them today in 2021. And I'm thinking, oh, they got to be like together. I don't know, maybe a couple years. I look back, there's uh, stuff on them from 2016, maybe even 2015 on YouTube. And I'm like, how does a band that sound this good not break through? Because they are totally authentic. And I think that's part of the problem. They aren't packaged like some type of pop band or, you know, like the current pop look and stuff. They're being completely authentic. But here's the thing. They've got this audience who loves them. And it's not a radio audience. It's not being played everywhere. But they will sell out every live uh, concert they do. You know, now that things are opening up with COVID, they are literally selling out everywhere because people have been dying to see them for two years Mm. and they are completely true to who they are the fact is they're very open the the band name is lawrence as i say because that's their family name two people clyde and gracie lawrence um they're young they're cool and i uh, i just love them to death um very very cool sound i gotta find their going to lawrence the band they have an album called Hotel TV, which sounds great. Um, Gracie Lawrence, Clyde Lawrence. Uh, I gotta find this. Hold on, just bear, bear with me a sec. No worries. Yeah, you can. Do you edit, by the way? Yeah, I do. Good, okay. Yeah, don't lose sight. Lawrence, if you like just soulful music that, that just comes pouring it at you, go look up Lawrence on YouTube. Don't lose sight acoustic. And this video, well, if you watch this video and you don't dig it, understand that I love it so much that if I ever know they're they're playing in Chicago or Minneapolis or Madison where I live, I'm going. Because they are perfect. They are the brand band that that literally covers all the bases that I'm most interested in when it comes to live music. They are not, however, for everybody. They are for the people who like exactly what they do, who they are, and how they do it. They are a band that happens to be a absolutely true nonfiction brand. Unlike so many of the fictional brands that are coming out of the big national labels you know you you can look at them and say oh these guys are just trying to be an american bts or ah they're updating this band from 20 years ago you know to current standards and stuff yeah i i can't stand that i love you know the word authenticity has been butchered to death but it all comes down to that authentic It all comes down to authenticity and genuineness. And the whole thing about authenticity and genuine, I can say all day long that I am authentic and genuine. I can say whatever I want, but you are the one who get to decide whether I'm authentic and genuine. See the difference? Whatever I say, you don't have to buy. But if you buy it, then you're the ones who go out and say, oh yeah, you need to beat this guy because he's absolutely genuine, absolutely authentic. 
And what, not only will you like what he, how you guys engage, but if you get him, you're going to be as evangelical about recommending them as I am. So again, why am I so excited about Lawrence, the band? Because I can smell their authenticity and genuineness. They are so cool because they are so true. Boom, that's why I'm now a huge fan of theirs and evangelist for their work. That's amazing. And that sets them apart. And that's what I think people should be thinking about so that when you call their name, you don't you don't confuse the star from the other star. <laughs> you want to stars align, but stars are also like they're independent. You know, they all stand on their own. So, I just love the fact that we can all be able to have this space and not yeah. be criticized or being, you know, put put in a box in a way that allows you not to be creative enough to actually fly. So, this is right. good. Right. I mean, uh, again, going back to the the idea of having three words, I call them your key three. What are your key three words or concepts that cover who you are, what you do, and how you do it? For me, those key three words are creative, collaborative, and provocative. I have to do creative stuff because I'm not an analyst. I'm not an operations guy. I'm not an organizer. I'm a creative person. If you want creative ideas, you want to come to me because that's what I do. That's where I live. Uh, collaborative. I collaborate with other people because I, I always thought that I did the best work alone. I don't. My best work is when I work with other people, when I listen deeply to what they have to say, when we work together to create something great. And their best idea, I will always try to plus up and make better because I truly am collaborative even if I have to work by myself for a part of the time because here's the thing when you work with other people it doesn't mean you have to be attached at the hip mm. it means you have to get together to share ideas like musicians musicians get together to share ideas but oftentimes that getting together happens when someone walks in with hey guys I got a riff that I want to play for you and do you feel the beat? Do you feel the rhythm? What's it ha got going in you? You know, like if you're a guitar yeah. player, you're all about licks and riffs, right? Right. You come up with that thing, you come in with that, and then you start playing. The drummer starts laying down the rhythm. Bass player hops in. All of a sudden, you got a keyboard player, and then then you know if you got a freestyler, you got someone who's ready to hop on in because they got the rhythm, they got the vibe, they got the flow, and you've got something happening, and you better have that uh, recorder on because you just might create something that you can turn into a finished song within minutes. Yeah. Some of the best music has been created collaboratively in minutes. That's what I try to do. Then the last word for myself is provocative. I learned this a long time ago because I tend to get very excited. And when I do, I kind of Sometimes we'll talk over people. You know, some people will think I'm interrupting them. I'm not interrupting them. I'm collaboratively engaging with them. I'm feeding off their energy. I'm getting excited. And then I like to do a technique I call tweak on the cheek, poke in the eye, which is tweak on the cheek. I take your idea and go, oh, that's a really good idea. I really like it. Then poke you in the eye. Have you thought about this? 
You know, it, it's kind of like taking your idea and punching your idea baby. Right. And and punching that baby in the face to, to, to elicit a response. And it's not meant to be uh, aggressive or anything like that. It's, it's meant to be provocative. It's meant yeah. to provoke a response. And sometimes that response is, oh, I don't agree with you at all. Great. Because now when you say that, I have a chance to learn something from you. Because my point of view is now being challenged. Bring it. I want to hear what you have to say. Because then I can truly learn. I can become that one degree better. That that one step better. You don't get anywhere if you keep doing what you've always done. You only get better by being challenging to yourself and to others. Respectfully. Kindly. Humanely. But it's not just, oh, what can we agree on? Lowest common denominator. No, it's like, I'm not a big sports guy, but I recognize the value of a good coach, which is, I know you want to play at this level. I'm going to push you to play at this level. Mm. And it's going to hurt to get there. But I, you know why I'm going to push you? Because I know you want to play at that level. But you don't know how to get there. So I'm going to help you. That's what I think a good provocative collaborator who happens to be creative can do. And that that's consequently, I write books to be collaborative, creative, and provocative. I do my podcast to do the same thing. You know, I've really enjoyed our conversation today, Favor, because you've been gently challenging me in a good way. We're collaborating to create something that I could not do myself, you could not do yourself. We're creating something together that is of value. Hopefully your listeners are enjoying this conversation because I'm sure enjoying talking about it. Um, Me too. And that's the value, right? That's the value. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think this is the time where people should just sit back and rewind and just play it back. You know, play it as you sleep. Play it thinking. Play it while you drive. Play it, you know, in your mind. So that by the time someone sees what you have, they'll appreciate that value because they see the value and time you took to build it. And that's why we're here today, you know. So it's such a pleasure, you know, and an honor. And I'm humbled to, you know, connect with you today and just listen to you, you know, and just take it all in as everybody else is as well. Oh, well, thank you, Favor, for the opportunity. I would like to offer your listeners the opportunity to get some free downloadable PDFs that can perhaps start you on your nonfiction brand journey, if you will. Oh, yeah. And they, yeah, you can get those at, uh, I'm going to give you the easy URL, which is nonfictionbrand.com slash gift. That's nonfictionbrand, all one word, dot com slash gift. If you go there, you'll be able to download three different PDFs. One is which, uh, one is the key three worksheet, which asks five simple questions that are surprisingly deep. I mean, they're easy to answer, so it's not like a hard quiz or something, but it forces you to think about who you are, what you do, and how you do it, so that you can really start beginning to identify, or what I like to say, discover, craft, and communicate, your completely true, completely you nonfiction brand. Then uh, two of the other PDFs are of social media techniques you can use to 
as part of your personal brand journey or experience or practice so that like if you're a social media person who's like, I don't know what to do. Well, these two worksheets will show you. One is called the unselfish selfie, which now we're coming up back out of COVID. We're going to be able to get together at conferences or meetups or networking events. The unselfish selfie is about taking a selfie that shines the spotlight on someone else so it can reflect back on you. And it's a really cool technique. Check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, there's a, one other as well. So check out those three PDFs at nonfictionbrand.com gift. And if anybody wants to hear me talk ad nauseum, they should check out the Nonfiction Brand Podcast, which comes out every single Monday, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Nonfiction Brand. And my last name, Knutten, K-N-U-D-T-E-N, and uh, you'll find it. It's pretty easy to find. Um, I talk to a whole bunch of people uh, from around the world about their personal branding journeys and you know what they're doing to really uh, break through. And also the book, Nonfiction Brand, Discover, Craft, and Communicate Your Completely True, Completely You Brand, the one you already are, uh, is available at uh, Amazon. And uh, check that out as well. So Nice. That's a really good cover. I love that. Oh, thank you. Sleek. Hey, by the way, I, I want to send you a copy. I, I wanted to get it to you before this, but uh, uh, let's, after you stop the record, I want to get your address. Or maybe you can email it to me. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I would love that because this is how it all begins and this is where growth starts. So I'm really excited and I really appreciate you for coming here to let people know where they can start and then scale it. I'm sure when they listen to this by this time next year, they'll be farther than they were when they first listened to this. And that's the whole thing. One of the people that I follow used to say, uh, or still says, don't judge my, don't, don't, they would always say, don't judge your first step on my 500th. Mm. Meaning just because you see someone who's killing it out there that is, is doing incredible stuff, don't let that stop you. All that means is they started their journey before you did. Right. And they may only be 500 steps in front of you. The thing you don't want to do is not take that first step. So head on over to nonfictionbrand.com slash gift. Get those worksheets and start your first step because you aren't going to regret it. Exactly. You're not going to regret it. And I hope you can be able to take that challenge and run with it today. Thank you so much, DP, for being here. I appreciate you for joining the We Don't PlayStation. And I'll definitely love to bring you back when we do have the Behind the Podcast on Clubhouse very soon. Oh, yeah. Count on it. Just uh, all you have to do is ask because obviously I like to talk. No problem. Thank you so much and take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.